everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers from all walks of life about their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Graham Waldrop. As always, our show is presented by Mudstack, the only asset management and collaboration tool custom-built for game studios and digital artists. For more information, head over to mudstack.com. Today, we welcome Seth Smith, Senior Game Designer at Riot Games. We talk about Seth's work on Riot's tactical shooter, Valorant, his goal of creating a multimedia franchise that spans games, novels, comic books, film, and TV, and we also talk about Hello World, an inclusive social mixer that Seth spearheads designed for anyone who champions representation in tech and entertainment. The panel welcomes new, aspiring, and experienced tech and entertainment professionals to a safe space where they can connect and network. My favorite aspect of this interview is talking to Seth about narrative, and it's not only because he knows what makes a great story, but he knows what makes a great story for the medium that it's being told in. And Seth gets it, man. He, he really understands across what to do across all these different forms of storytelling. We go really in-depth with that, really in-depth with the world he wants to create, with the novel he's writing right now, and who inspired that. And uh, it's, it's really cool stuff. I think you're going to really like it. So without further ado, here's Seth Smith. All right, so Seth, before we really get into uh, all the, the great stuff you're doing in your career, I got to ask about SCAD, since I went to SCAD too for game design. Uh, did you go to Savannah or Atlanta campus? Uh, me, I went to Savannah. Yeah, definitely Savannah. But um, I spent maybe just like a brief time in Atlanta. Was there anything like that was really, really formative in your time at SCAD? Uh, be it the foundation classes or a particular class, uh, you know, once you got into the actual ITGM major? Yeah, I think one of the, you know, biggest aspects of going to SCAD for me was connecting with the teachers, just people who are invested in your development, your dream, but also meeting peers that like I would still, and I do still maintain relationships with that we aspire to, you know, help each other grow and help each other realize our dreams. I really think the community around the curriculum is one of the key aspects for me. Yeah, it was always something I loved was, uh, you know, working with people late in the computer lab, you know, sort of the, the camaraderie that grows there. Um, whether, you know, you're working on the same thing or you're asking for someone's help on something or you're getting feedback uh, into the wee hours of the morning, that was always, that was always fun. Yeah, 100%. Let's let's jump forward a little bit into Valorant. Am I am I pronouncing that right, or is it Valorant? Uh, Valorant. See, it's, it's it's a hard thing for me with my my southern accent. I'm like Valorant, or like you know, <laughs> like with Kanban. You know, Kanban. I say Kanban because southern accent just comes out. I don't know. I don't know why. But yeah, this is a really cool game. I I I wasn't able to play it, but I did watch a lot of video on it, and um, because I unfortunately don't have a gaming PC, but. Um, I mean, I love I love five e five. It's a five e five tactical shooter. It's very much in the vein of of Counter Strike, I would say. And uh, you you worked in the in the game design of that, right? Yeah, I work in social and player on the social and player dynamics team. Mm-hmm. I'm a you know senior player dynamics designer, and what player dynamics is is facilitating healthy player to player interactions, and that is how we socialize, how we communicate, how we work together as a team to ensure that like we achieve our goal and our success. So anytime you have players engaging in chat systems, nonverbal calm pings, or just any interaction where they can communicate with each other and, and work together um, and are doing that in um, a social sense, that is like what player dynamics is. Designing for multiple minds and making sure that players are able to express themselves in healthy and productive ways. So you're not just doing that for, you know, the actual teams, but you're doing that, I imagine, also from a competitive nature for, you know, player versus player as well. Anything, like if it's like me, like playing with another player, like PvP, if it's me, um, you know, coordinating with like other players versus... um, you know, any sort of shared objective or goal, like player dynamics is a field that allows us to give players those tools to come together and work together. And that's something that you see in a variety of different genres and games. But yeah, anytime players have social dynamics between each other, that is what we call player dynamics. And is that a pretty new kind of way of thinking in the sense of like, that's actually like a a term being used to describe 
obviously what you do and what you're doing on the game. Because I've before we talked, um, you know, a few weeks ago, I'd never heard of that. I mean, is that is that something that was sort of coined by Riot, or is that something that's really come along with more and more multiplayer games being developed? Yeah. Now, um, the history of social dynamics and how groups represent themselves, the identity that uh, is associated with a group, as well as the identity we have as individuals and how we come together to influence a group identity, you know, that has been in existence, you know, for a very, very long time. But looking at games or digital social spaces, especially through that lens, um, player dynamics is a term that, you know, was coined um, at Riot. Um, and it it is like looking at a lot of these games that we have that are inherently social um, and basically applying the tools and the mythologies that we have to ensure that those social interactions are healthy and, and, and productive. And how do you do that, particularly when you have like people on, on microphones who could be, you know, really obnoxious or saying derogatory things? Yeah, you know, um, I think the first thing when you're thinking about player dynamics is what you really want to do is emphasize what healthy pro-social behavior looks like and not just emphasize what is disruptive. If you have less disruptive behavior, that doesn't necessarily mean you have more healthy behavior. Um, if everyone sits down at an office and maybe they're just not talking to each other, that isn't the same thing as having a team that sits down and really bonds with each other and feels, and there's this sense of belonging. So really what you wanna do is in, in digital spaces as well as non-digital spaces is really emphasize and have a vision for what good sportsmanship looks like, what good communication looks like, what keeping a cool head in stressful situations looks like, what mentoring looks like, what coaching looks like. You have to establish what you're aiming towards. And that's the same with all design disciplines. We always have like an aesthetic that we're going to, uh, to we're uh, striving for. And then we have like the mechanics and the dynamics that get us there. You know, aesthetic being like, this is the principle that I want to realize. Either maybe it's sportsmanship or, you know, maybe it's um, like deep puzzle gameplay. Whatever, whatever you do, um, whatever that aesthetic is, that's kind of like the spirit of your game. And then the mechanics are, of course, you know, the rules, the decisions that I can make as a player in this space that have an impact. And then the dynamics are how I respond to those actions that come from the result of um, mechanics. So, you know, social dynamics outside of like, you know, games and player dynamics within games, social dynamics, player dynamics being the same thing, um, that comes from the result of us coming up with mechanisms that allow players to engage in a way that meets our aesthetic of good sportsmanship and good communication. So we both, um, you know, work to highlight and emphasize, hey, this is what a good shot call looks like. This is what a good assist looks like, but as well as having behavior detection systems that allow us to intervene whenever players are using those mechanics of communication um, and um, you know, team play in a way that isn't aligned with our aesthetic of respect, integrity, and sportsmanship. And what about in terms of like, um, you know, the actual gameplay side in terms of communication? Because this game, to me, from what I've, what I've seen, is, is inherent, you know, communication is inherent to success. So can you give us some like more specific examples of what you've implemented there? Yeah, you know, in, in terms of uh, communication, like that is what the text chat um, channel is for. That's what voice um, comms are for. That's also what, you know, nonverbal comms, the, the pinging system um, is for. And, you know, ideally, like healthy communication looks like giving your players awareness of what's going on in the environment. You know, making call outs when you cite an opponent making callouts when you see um, opportunities, like we should push here or we should rotate to different sites. Um, communication and, and making um, quick responsive decisions to support your teammates um, in their endeavors. Yeah, one of the things I thought that was cool was um, some of the video I was watching, there was this one ability someone had where you, know, you could see the other team through a wall briefly. Um, mm -hmm. and just stuff like that. And then how it seems like there always, there's always something for the player to do in order to f sort of facilitate that, that camaraderie, that, that, um, you know, sort of team building that you're talking about. There's, there's, 
like all the classes seem to have mechanics that revolve around trying to put the team in the best position to succeed, but it's up to the player, right. To sort of figure out and, you know, to communicate with their team and figure out what they need to do in order to win. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a game that's very much focused on using your utility, you know, your abilities to help set other teammates up for success and capitalize on the gaps in, you know, your opposing teams, um, you know, uh, tactics. So yeah, 100%. That's, you know, working with like gameplay and in facilitating through gameplay, um, you know, as we talked about mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics, like if you have mechanics that give your teammates more awareness of the map or sets them up for success, that creates a inherently social moment right there. Mm -hmm. That is what player dynamics is about. It's like, I can do this action that helps my teammate do other actions, and then they can do actions that help us as a team to continue to achieve our, our goals. So you're you know, already designing something that requires that type of communication and coordination. Yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense. And I love that you are putting a specific emphasis on that because there's so many, as we all know, there's so many multiplayer shooters. It's rampant, right? So doing things, I think putting specific emphasis on building that community and building that camaraderie within teams is like a way for this to stand out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, I think, is a really big selling point of games that incentivize coordination, teamwork, team play, and allow you to feel really good about setting others up for success. What what role does the level design play in that? I know you might not specifically work on that, but I'm sure you, you know, you're working hand in hand with the folks that are making the levels. Yeah. You know, I think like the levels are like really, really amazing, um, like excellent team. And, you know, I love their work. You know, I think levels create the opportunity space for the types of things that you want to communicate and how you um, will coordinate with um, players. You know, they give you opportunities like, hey, um, I've, I'm able to control this particular angle or I'm watching this angle, so I'll communicate relevant information based off of what I'm seeing here. Or this is the area that we need to push. This is the area that we need to hold. And we have to solve sort of the, um, the tactical puzzle of this space based off of the resources that we have as a team and based off of our knowledge of the map. So having things like map knowledge, understanding how your character's utility can create opportunities for you, all of that is really inspired by the awesome map work. Yeah, yeah. No, it seems to really come across from what I've, what I've seen. And also like the characters, right? I mean, it's a very diverse group of characters that you can play with, like tons of, I would say, global representation. So was that like a huge emphasis for you guys to make sure that like, hey, we're kind of like reflecting the world we're in today? You know, yeah, that's really where player dynamics actually starts. It really starts with, um, you know, it is the craft of designing for multiple minds. So making sure that we have representation and just diverse thinking um, that's really where um, we can start to get um, inspired and have really compelling and different distinct um, ideas and experiences that can meet a variety of different player needs. So, you know, having that global brand and having that global representation, I think is definitely a big part of facilitating healthy and pro-social play. Yeah. And how did that influence sort of also like the design of the characters in terms of like their abilities like you know if someone's from a particular place was there some sort of cultural influence in terms of what they could do based off where they're from you know i think it's it's definitely more gameplay um first like i think like uh you know and i i don't i don't work on agents so i can't speak to this too deeply but generally i think the philosophy is like what makes a very compelling game experience you know do we have uh, do we want abilities to create more opportunities or to counter certain gameplay in the middle, um, you know, certain gameplay um, that currently exist. Um, how do we make sure that the agents are providing very tactical and fun, compelling decisions uh, in games? And then, like in terms of um, you know representation, I think that just allows us to like create this sense of belonging for players all over the world. I think, you know, the amount of modes you guys have is really cool. I especially think the the unrated mode, um, with the, is that the one with the bomb 
with all the bomb sites, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, ranked and unrated. Yeah, Spike Rush. Yep. Yeah, a, yeah. Like, a, I mean, was it's was like best of like 20, 25, something like that, where these rounds could really, you know, go for a minute? Yeah, I think like having like the, um, you know, just more lengthy uh, rounds to that um, aspect, like creates a lot of comeback moments. You know, like um, a lot of people talk about like 9-3 curse, things like that. Um, yeah, having like uh, things that are a little bit more lengthy um, allows like the swingy up and down, exciting comeback climbs that I really like to engage in. Yeah, because I think that's what's really cool about that. That goes back to the whole um, really building a team aspect of the game. Is like you can get your you know you get your ass kicked for the first four or five rounds, but maybe you guys figure something out right and they're able to counter mm-hmm. it, and then the other team has to adjust. Uh, it reminds me a little of. Um, you know, uh, the original Last of Us is multiplayer where it was, you know, best of seven um, and you only had one life and it was really like, okay, we really got to be careful here. But if we get, you know, if we get crushed the first couple of rounds, we can, we can make a turnaround. We have time to do it. We just got to figure out how to communicate. But this, this takes it to a whole nother level. I feel like with the amount of rounds and then what's going on within the round with having to try and, you know, detonate these bombs. So, I mean, it's a, I think it's a really cool idea to, one, the mode sounds cool, and two, just the, the length of it. Yeah, it feels good, like, you know, um, yeah, just, I, 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 I like the 13, 13 round length, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool stuff. And, uh, I mean, it's, it, I think it has a, a, a great community from what I can tell, and people are really passionate about it, got great reviews when it came out. So, I mean, it seems like this, this game's here to stay, and you guys are going to continue to make it what it is and make it. I guess also try and make it better than what it does. Yeah, no, um, super love the community. You know, I've only been out a um, few years. And um, yeah, just like I continue to look forward to every day, just um, working to create better experiences for our players. Okay, so I know also you eventually want to get into, you know, building your own brand, building your own stories for people that aren't always represented. And uh, your big narrative guy. Let's let's get into the narrative, Seth. Let's talk about you know the stories you want to make and why you want to make them. Yeah, no, absolutely. My overall goal is to create a cross-experience entertainment company that tells stories for people who don't always get to see their stories told on you know the silver screen or in gaming, etc. For me, that's just coming up with a cross experience um, that emphasizes shared storytelling. And we have like some examples in the industry right now of adaptations, IPs that are adapted uh, for games, IPs that are adapted for you know movies, TV shows, etc. Um, I look forward to living in a world where they all have cohesion amongst their um, different adaptations and they're more extensions than adaptations. I think you can take a look at you know some IPs and you see like, oh, there's a connection between the movies and the TV shows. They share not only the same cast, but they also share like the same storylines. But then maybe there's a dissonance between you know that sort of group of work with any game um, adaptations that might exist. I just want to live in a world where that same shared story is connected across all mediums. And if you play the game, if you watch the movie, if you listen to the music album, if you go to the live show, um, if you see the animated series, they're all connected and there's a reward for watching all of those um, that is designed for anyone to enter at, at, at enter that IP world uh, at any time. And I really want that to be a platform for people who don't get to feel like they have, you know, people who's just who don't get to see themselves as a superhero because there isn't an, a superhero that represents um, their way of life or their lived experience. So that's my overall overall dream. Yeah, and I think that's a certainly a noble noble crusade. I mean, I was talking to uh, someone last week who was talking about how they took their nephew to see uh, the the Spider Man into the Spider Verse movie, the Miles Morales movie. And his, his nephew turns to him and says, Spider-Man looks like me. And it was something he hadn't really thought about as much. But he was like, yeah, you know, that's that's powerful. 100%. That is, that is so um, unbelievably powerful. Um, being able to see just someone who you resonate with and connect with that looks like you and, 
you know, that you can think about whenever you're feeling down to make you feel like you can do more, that you can step up to the plate, that, you know, you can, you know, make a positive impact in someone's lives. I think that's why we have stories, you know, of heroes, but not always just like superheroes, just, you know, everyday people who have dreams and maybe they got set back a bit and still like found it in themselves to make a stand and move forward and grab hold of what they are aspiring to do. I think having the presence of stories like that for everyone is super essential to just feeling like you belong in, in today's world, feeling like you have a voice and feeling like someone can speak to the things that you're going through. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, um, anything I can do to support um, or create and facilitate um, and fill that space that, that really needs to be filled, um, I'm super passionate about. That's really how like a lot of the dots connect for me. Um, I you know, love working where I work and working on a global game that has that type of um, representation. I also, uh, I also host a event and, and curate an event called Hello World at uh, Soho uh, Warehouse, uh, downtown LA, about once a month. And I have a diversity in tech and entertainment panel where I just get a lot of, um, of my peers and you know, people who know what it's like to work in tech when you don't see that type of representation, when you're the only person in a boardroom that can really speak to your experience, even though the subject matter may be very tied to your experience. Um, who have to, you know, navigate those spaces. And, you know, that panel and that event is designed to kind of tell people what I wish I had been told um, before I entered that space of just, like, what is required um, to, to make it and in, in navigate in those spaces and, you know, how to build community, how to find value outside of your work, how to, like, give yourself love and, and self-care and how to motivate others and how to pay it forward and open the door for others to follow the same way the door was open you know for me um, by other diverse creatives um, who were kind enough to help you know um, shepherd um, you know and, and pave a way into this space you know that that is the same with like the works that I'm writing with um, the music I create um, that's pretty much everything I do I, I want to create a safe space and a um, empowering um, platform for anyone who wants to tell a story that they don't feel gets told. And I think the things that you're talking about, like, you know, your Hello World panel that you do sounds great. And, you know, every time I you know think about this stuff, it's like it sucks that it's not normal for people of color, people in the LGBTQ community, things like that, where like they're not getting enough stories in terms of the things that they can relate to or the people that they can relate to. So it's like what else from your perspective can be done to try to hopefully, you know, we don't have to have the kid looking at uh, Miles Morales and being like, oh, my God, there's someone who looks like me. That can just be a thing that just happens. Right. That happens enough to the point where it's like it becomes normal for everyone. Yeah, you know, I think um, I was, yeah, definitely really, really late in the game when I, like, saw Black Panther. I've been loving comics since, you know, ever. Like, really, I wanted to be a game designer since I was five. Um, and, you know, when I saw Black Panther for the first time, I was like, wow, like, this is, um, I don't know if I've had this type of experience um, for a, a genre and a medium that I've spent my whole life in being invested in. Um, you know, I haven't seen that type of um, representation. And, uh, you know, I th the answer is, is straightforward, but it does require a lot of effort. You know, the answer is we need to create more opportunities um, to help build infrastructure, to help create a, a pathway for more diverse creatives. We need to have more equity in this space. You know, we need to make sure that it is part of our companies. You know, we need initiatives that help foster diverse talent, that help empower um, the you know many creative, um, diverse creatives and entrepreneurs that are already engaging in this space and have already provided um, awesome stories for. Um, all communities. It's both building the infrastructure to help 
educate the next generation and let them know, give them the exposure that this is possible. It is supporting and giving more tools and resources to the existing uh, creatives that are doing this. And then it's also breaking cycles of having a lack of diversity in a lot of the existing tech and entertainment spaces. It's recognizing that this is something that needs to change and that we want our creators um, and facilitators to match the diversity of our audiences. And we should be creating those type of pathways to make sure that we hold ourselves accountable to reach all of the different voices and make sure all the voices that are in our audiences are represented at every level, you know, from, you know, player to game player to game developer, from in front of the camera to behind the camera. Um, we have to constantly um, build communities and build spaces to address that. Um, for me personally, that's why I am you know, working on my own stories to help make sure that I can create a platform for others to tell their stories. Um, in the same way many artists before me have done that and inspired me. And that's also why I put together you know, the diversity and in tech and entertainment event, Hello World, to help give a lot of amazing creatives that I come across, like a connection in the industry, someone that can really provide mentorship and speak to what it takes to like enter um, this field and what it's like to be in this field. So, you know, we have so much talent and it's just doing the work day in and day out to make sure that we continue to help make uh, like how our generation is today way better for those that are coming tomorrow. Sounds like what you're doing is, is really spearheading that so that's i mean that's awesome that you're taking the initiative to do that in the time are there any specific people that you've you've reached that you can that you can talk about at all in terms of you know influencing some folks who maybe want to get into the tech space or get into games or film or anything like that and that you're still maybe in touch with yeah no um, absolutely like i have um so many people in just my personal life um you know have like just come to me and said like, hey, I really appreciate it. Um, especially like, I, I usually take time if anyone reaches out to me to go over portfolio reviews, read resumes, like help prepare people for um, interviewing in tech and entertainment. If you just ever like reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, I usually try um, best I can to get to people and provide that feedback. Um, same with like a lot of friends just in my life, um, especially some that came to the Hello World event, um, connecting them with people who work in particular places that uh, they aspire to work. And, you know, I've had uh, a lot of support from Riot Noir, um, you know, my friends uh, like George, Jazz, um, you know, I've had people from Marvel Studios, um, you know, my friend Micah, um, my other friend Jazz from Pinterest. Um, you know, Susan from Snap, um, yeah, Jerori from um, Respawn. I've had a lot of like really um, passionate and um, brilliant and kind and empathetic panelists that come and were able to just offer so much insight to people who have both been in tech, um, haven't been in tech, but and also um, are aspiring to like are in the first stages of like, you know, entering tech. Um, they were able to just drop so much um, powerful like um, wisdom to them and answer questions. And that's what I hope to continue to build. I, I just want to continue to build those connections. So tech, entering tech and entertainment doesn't seem so opaque or ambiguous, but it's like, no, somebody has carved this path for me. I just have to tap in, find my community, and they will help me navigate the way. And that's always something cool I like as a uh, as a screenwriter. Um, two of the the projects I've worked on one was a feature that got um, that came out in 2019. But um, you know, I worked with a longtime friend of mine, he's African American, who directed the project. We wrote it together. But that's what I always love about about that about working with him, Edward Varney, who I'm going to give a shout out to, or my other my other friend is also African American, uh, Marquise Mosley, um, who I've worked on another project with him. Is that they. You know, I just love being able to to work with people that that are different 
culturally that provide a different viewpoint of the world. And I, and I do that too. And then we sort of come together to create this like really cool alchemy from our shared experiences. And I think that's something that, you know, all creative folks should do is, you know, get out of your comfort zone a little bit and, and work with people that, that do have a different history than you and, and figure out how to empower each other to, to tell your stories. Yeah, it's actually vital. It's actually vital. So, you know, if art doesn't transform, anything that becomes stagnant dies. And if we keep hearing the same stories from the same perspectives over and over again, you know, we're not really able to grow. The beautiful thing about a story about like art in general, art being like the artifact or artifice of some experience, right? Being able to take an experience and translate it into something that resonates with another person is it gives us that multiple-minded perspective. And why we have community is because we understand that there's strength in that type of unity around that common goal of how do we grow and how do we better ourselves as individuals and also as, you know, a society. So, you know, it's, 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 it's vital on so many levels that we challenge our perceptions and that we critique ourselves and that we constructively and that we grow and that we build upon each other. And that only happens from an exchange of ideas. You know, iron sharpens iron. Um, so like I've always grown um, from just hearing from different perspectives across multiple spectrums. It could just be maybe they grew up in a different city than me. It could be like when I'm talking to my nieces and nephews, I'm like, oh, wow, y'all are still watching like the same stuff. But now it's 3D. You know, I'm looking at the cartoons they're watching now. You know, it could be from somebody who has a different like belief system, a different way of life. It doesn't matter. It's just that sense of it's not just me in this world that reminder right there is extremely powerful and inspiring for art because art is meant to be a bridge between others. Art is meant to connect us. And we will fail at being able to do what art is meant to do if we're not constantly exposed to different perspectives and aware of different audiences that we need to connect to. Yeah, I learned so much from those guys and um, things I would never even thought about that made our, our collective stories better. So. I love what you're doing, man. I mean, I, I think it's great. And I, I want to hear more. Can you go into anything specifically about the actual the actual worlds you're creating in, in terms of your narratives? Yeah, I can I can say like high level. I want to finish like the draft like uh, closer to uh, um, next year. But, um, you know, the high level conceit is like what I do is often I take somebody close to me that's not um, that at least has a, a story where they didn't feel like they were represented in entertainment and media. That kind of just drives what I, I move towards to. Um, but, you know, when I was a kid, like my like little sister, um, she was like, hey, who should I be for a superhero day? And I was like, oh, well, what about Storm, you know, from X-Men? She was like, oh, I was Storm last year. So, um, you know, I listed off like, you know, Vixen and, you know, um, just some other like heroes as well, like black woman heroes. And we like, you know, she's always been like a comic book, um, you know, like fan. And she's like, I just feel like only me and you like really know those people. And I was like, yeah. Um, so, you know, I wanted to make something that like could help like not to help expand the options of um, just black women superheroes mm. that um, my sister would have had in that moment. And yeah, I want to live in a world where, you know, again, like we start realizing that there's a lot of, uh, there's a huge audience that's not represented, you know, across the board who needs us to invest in and promote their heroes, you know, um, and not just have like only one like major hero for a particular audience. So I wanted to add to that. So, you know, my story is, you know, just about um, some young black women um, who are, who find themselves empowered um, beyond like normal status and are able to make an impact in the world. And um, of course, in doing that, that causes some people who are in the status quo to be upset, um, even though the world is better for it once they are able to um, use their abilities. So that's just like the high level like synopsis. But, um, you know, the overall goal, I, I think, is like, again, where I, I start with more like the aesthetic because um, the details could always change. But the overall goal is how do I add more representation and create a world to where if my little sister asks who should I be for superhero day, 
I have a variety of like, you know, I have like thousands of people you can pick from that represent like all of the uniqueness that we see in, you know, audiences that again, don't always have the representation that they should have. Other than obviously the influence of what you just talked about with your sister and everything, what are some of your other storytelling influences? Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing like um, a lot of JRPGs. Um, like I grew up watching anime, so I feel like a lot of my um, a lot of my influences probably come from like JRPGs, anime, um, you know, young adult um, stories as well. Um, but yeah, like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big uh, Hunter x Hunter fan. I'm a big uh, Full Metal Alchemist fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, Final Fantasy VII. I think, like, for me, um, because I'm, I'm doing something that I want to scale across mediums, uh, the reason why I, I tend to pick those particular ones is I think when you're telling a story that is that doesn't have, like, the the core mechanics super clearly defined. Like there's a lot of stories that we can refer to that um, are interesting and do make compelling games, but how the the main powers or the, the abilities um, are actually balanced and scaled are not always super clear. Whereas like I felt like the rule system in Full Metal Alchemist, of course, like, you know, um, Law of Equivalent Exchange gives you a very clear power structure and like makes you very aware of, oh, this character with their current skill level can do this and cannot do that. And that makes it very easy to pull like a rule set from and and move more into interactive experiences. I'll also say like the ability system in Hunter x Hunter, again, like has very different clear, um, let's just say like areas of focus, like whether you're an enhancer or controller. And that sets up for a lot of strengths and weaknesses that are inherent to them. Whereas there are um, other like um, worlds or fictions where they have power but um, or abilities or skills, but those things are often subject to the writer in the moment and what they're trying to um, serve for the scene. So like maybe, um, maybe like, you know, like a, let's just do like generic like animated story Maybe there's a character who has, like, this raw energy, but um, whenever, like, he, he's trying to use his energy, it's not that strong, but whenever he faces, like, a really big opponent, he just, like, magically powers up um, without any cost or, like, risks attached to it. And, like, that definitely works for, like, a film story, but um, for something that's a game, I would definitely want um, more levers in there. So like if you do get this type of power increase, there's still a balanced risk and reward. Um, so I, I tend to like gravitate towards like stories that are either written that way with like clear risk and rewards, or like obviously game oriented stories that generally have to have that in order to make sh- sure that we have compelling tension between your gameplay abilities and your gameplay obstacles to reach your objectives. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I would, you know, have to tell you how to do, you know, when you want to make a film based off this world you're creating. But I think that's a really important thing to remember when you are making a, a film or a show. Because, I mean, that was one of the things that really bugged me about the newer Star Wars movies was that it just felt like, you know, whenever it's convenient to expand the force, we expanded the force. And it was like, there's almost no point in having a lightsaber fight at this point when the force has become this kind of all-consuming thing that can stop people in their tracks and you can just choke somebody or whatever, right? Because it's just like, it's just convenient, like you were talking about, for whatever the writer needs to do in a specific moment. It's like have, a, have an established rule set for what, you know, the powers or the or, or how your world works and how your characters work and what, what abilities they have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, I really do value when that type of world building is um, present. And I think like, again, um, I talked a little bit, I, oh, I talked mostly about this at, at SCAD, but um, each medium has like a strength or almost like a, um, you know, a value that it could ha- add to your, your shared IP um, experience if you choose to do cross like IP. Like um, I think you're, you know, very familiar that like TV is really good for getting multiple perspectives of characters in a similar situation, you know, you have like the time to say, well, this is what's going on in this fictional land through this character's viewpoint. 
Well, this is through this character's viewpoint. And you can see different perspectives of different guilds, different factions, and balance all of that. I think TV is really, really strong for that. Um, you know, I think um, movies are really good for like major, major, like almost like uh, wrapped like um, events. Like, hey, this particular tower or this particular station um, gets infiltrated by this small group. And they do this big thing, and now there's a ripple effect in the world. Like, you see this movie, and you get it. Like, there's a snap, many people disappeared, etc. Like, you get, like, those major moments um, all contained in a movie that can ripple up into, ripple off into um, follow-up movies or prequels if there's more context to justify how that major event happened in the first place. Um, you know, I think novels give you a chance to really deep dive deeper into the lore, and really figure out like the um, sort of history of the world and looking at the world as a character um, outside of just the characters. Like how is the, the world, as in like um, the societies that exist in that space, how have they evolved um, over time or where are they at? Where is their mindset? Have they gone from more environmental to more industrial? Has, was there a time of peace and now there's more of a time of war? Like seeing the world as a character, I think the novel gives you definitely a chance to do that because you have different characters in that novel who um, in some sense are engaging in a dialogue with the world as a character. So I think you know, novels are really good for uh, world building. Games, um, you know, of course, if it's like show, don't tell, games are like, you know, um, do, don't show. Like, how do I actually experience what it's like to be in this world? What are the mechanisms that I have that allow me to impact and express who a character is in this world? You know, how do I, like, just be present in this? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, games can also give you a sense of what it's like to manage entities outside of an individual character in this world. Like, this is what it's like for to... Um, if there's like some bounty hunter faction or something in some fictional world, this is like how you manage, grow talent in your bounty hunter faction and how you scale and grow throughout the world. Um, you're looking at this more from like the macro level or if it's more individual story based, like this is what it means to use the key verbs in this world and express yourself. And I think the stories that make good games have those key verbs, you know, maybe it's like, collect, train, you know, um, evolve. Maybe it's, um, you know, um, like craft, like, you know, discover, discover, craft, and then like utilize. Whatever those key verbs are, um, that's like games are really good for those stories. And there's plenty of stories and movies that we've seen that aren't super verb oriented. They're more about character relationships. They're more about just these people bonding and getting, learning how to connect with each other and see each other's perspective. And, um, you know, it may just be them doing more internal work. Like, I think films are also good for stories like that, that um, the audience is literally just um, or watching a dominoes, dominoes kind of topple over, or watching like a snowball unfold and seeing where it lands. Um, but whenever you want a an audience member to have agency over a story and, and take control of it, I think games are perfect for them to say, hey, if I were in this world, what would my story be? I mean, you really have a great sense of uh, knowing what your medium is. The parameters in which you're trying to tell your story in, um, I think all that really makes sense. I love that thing about um, in games, do, don't show. Because it's such, you know, games is such an active you're such an active participant in it, right? So the more that you do, the more that you can impact the world um, or the other characters around you or the players or whatever, then, you know, the better off you'll be from that kind of experience. Um, yeah, I know that makes, makes a ton of sense. And I think another thing too, I, mean, I love what you said about novels too with the, with, the, with the world stuff. Like a lot of the things I always come back to when I'm writing is like, where's my character's heads at? And, you, you know, you're talking about where's the world at? You know, and I think that makes a lot of sense because also world can inform character, or it absolutely does inform character. A lot of storytellers don't take into account as much, like, what is a character's background? What is their financial situation? You know, and how is the world impacting that and so much more? Um, it really, you really have to know when you're going in, it's like, what is, what is the story? But I love that you're talking about what is a story within the confines of 
what kind of narrative am I trying to tell? That's it's really, really cool insight. Awesome. Yeah, no. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. No, I, I love your, where your head's at and all that stuff. Uh, in terms of thinking about, you know, beyond the pillars, when you're thinking about your, your world, right, and you're thinking about the individual stories within your, your cross-experience uh, cross world, how do you ensure that even if a story is setting something else up, doesn't exist solely just for that. I feel like that's something that's happening more and more in current media that's really become popularized with the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. Um, and I feel like sometimes those those movies and shows, they will seemingly only exist to set up the next big crossover event. Some of them don't do that. But I feel like that's that's always a problem I've had personally with those with that franchise. But but I'm just curious your thoughts on that whole process of being able to sort of balance telling a story that goes a distance, but can also still entice people and excite people for what's to come. For me, it's like I, I can't necessarily say that like, hey, if you're telling a story just to set up another story, um, I don't know if I can say if that is like a problem in and of itself. I think it makes sense to tell a story to set up a story in the same way it makes sense to have a scene to set up a scene. I think, um, you know, the issue that I could um, pull from that is if you feel like the actual scene or that the actual story that's being told um, doesn't allow itself to tell, to really give um, time to express the message that's inherent in it. So um, again, off the top of my head, if you are, if you have this scene between, um, you know, two uh, lovers that um, is setting up for the a future war, like let's just say two kids met, they like fell in love, and then as they get older, they realize that oh, they're both going to inherit like you know the crown from two warring nations and then like you know the whole story is about that just like two people who are like the heirs to the throne who are at war with each other even though they used to be in love just made that up um if you have to set up like their relationship to get to the part that you actually maybe want to focus on, you know, some authors would focus on the like, oh, they used to be in love. Some authors are like, I just want to get straight to the like warring part. So if you if your attention is to just like, you know, like, hey, let's just really establish that they used to be friends, then they used to like, you know, then they fell in love. And now they're like, you know, at odd. Then they were rivals, and now they're like full blown out, um, you know, enemies at at, at war. Um, I think like each of those different phases that I just listed out should have a message that you're trying to convey. Like, what is the point of them coming together? Um, what is the point of them like, um, you know, being friends? Like, what bonded them as friends? What made them more than that? what made them rivals, and how did the seeds of that bloom in the larger war? And, right, um, sort of the setup what, and payoff kind of thing. Exactly. So I think, like, what happens is, you know, sometimes when things feel rushed, it's like, hey, wait, there's, there's a lot to process here. Like, you know, how did they even fall in love in the first place when they were warring nations? Like, how were they even allowed to meet like that? Or again, I'm just making this up, so I don't actually have that answer. But like, you know, what what is the philosophy of that nation and their philosophy? What was the chances of them actually stopping the war if they just like found a way to get along? Like, you know, there's a lot of questions that like you could probably just pull at from just us like talking about that like very briefly. And sometimes if your audience is really, really interested in one of those questions, but you as the author say, this isn't important, we're going to focus there, that can sometimes feel bad. So I think what, it, what I would advise is making sure that when you have like a setup for something, you understand the scope of your setup. Is your setup super simple so it doesn't take that much to explore and you are able to cover everything that's, um, you know, would be eye-catching about that? Um, you're able to basically resolve all the mysteries related to that before you go into the larger story. Um, I think that's the dissonance. A lot of times a setup will plant seeds that people want to see developed. And when they move into the larger film, it's either like you 
you, you, you answer those questions in the setup or there's a promise that you'll answer the questions eventually. And I think when the promise that of answering those questions gets lost in translation from setup to like, you know, the actual um, major conflict or the resolution of it, that can feel disappointing. Because when you introduce something to um, an audience member, there's sometimes this expectation that you did that intentionally and with, and, you know, and you, you plan to use that. Like I, as an audience member, am remembering this line of dialogue, this scene, because I believe that there will be, like you said, some payoff. So sometimes if you give people some things and you never deliver on it, that can feel underwhelming. There's nothing wrong with having a scene to set up a scene or a film to set up a film, but make sure that the um, touchstones that are tied to those stories, to those scenes, that you are very intentional about um, closing the loop on any interesting elements that are associated with those. Yeah, no, well said, well said. When's your novel going to be done, man? I want to read it. <laughs> oh, I appreciate <laughs> Everything that. you're saying, um, man, is like, it's great. The, uh, <laughs> I'm aiming to get the first draft um, done by like, you know, um, like early next year. Um, and yeah, hopefully, you know, who knows, who knows when, but like, hopefully, like I, I would definitely like to release like, um, you know, sometime next year. Um, but we'll see next year or after, but you know, I've just been taking my time with it. It's something that like, I'm first and foremost doing, um, you know, for my little sister. So, you know, I, I'm really more looking forward to like letting her read it and then her tell me like, Hey, is this, uh, you know, like, is, does this like meet the need? Um, so I don't have a timeline on it. I think it's, it's very much going to be um, just the conversation with, um, you know, um, her and, and how she feels about it before I can say this is when I'm going to drop it. Yeah. And I love, love that. It's personal. It's familial. And uh, right. She's going to be your ultimate sounding board as the inspiration. Yeah. 100%. Cool, man. Um, I could talk to you about narrative stuff all day, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, please let um, let the audience know where they can find out about uh, more about Hello World or anything else you want to plug. Yeah, now's the time to throw that out there. We got we got a number of people I know who listen in the West Coast. Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, you can uh, follow um, at Hello World Mixer um, on Twitter, IG. And yeah, you can find just me talking about, uh, you know, games and any sort of like music-related events uh, that I do on, you know, at Seth S. Smith on Twitter or IG. Awesome. Well, Seth, best of luck with the novel and, and the world you're creating and uh, the work you're doing now. Yeah, man, thank you for stopping by. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Like, I always love talking about narrative and, you know, just games. So, yeah, thank you so much for, yeah, just the time. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's show. We want to thank Seth for being our guest. To find out more about Mudstack, head over to mudstack.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and join our community on Discord. And of course, we want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Clear as Mud.